0: Hey listeners welcome back to another episode of Pediatric Meltdown and the topic today I think is really interesting clever and I think needs to be on our radar of interventions for ADHD my guest today is Dr. Noreen Russell Dr. Russell is the founder of the Russell Coaching for Students which uses an innovative method of coaching for complex students including those who have ADHD autism or anxiety and those with learning differences. This innovative method, Connected Coaching, has proven successful for hundreds of students across the United States and Canada since 2009. Dr. Russell has been a featured guest on over 25 podcasts focusing on ADHD, including Attitude. With 20 years of experience creating positive youth development and parenting education programs, Dr. Russell has extensive knowledge of child development, learning styles, special needs, and positive parenting philosophies. She blends this knowledge to provide students and parents with comprehensive support and the tools they need to grow and thrive. Dr. Russell has a PhD from Bowling Green State University with a focus on psychology and education. Prior to starting her coaching and consulting practice, Dr. Russell worked at a variety of well known nonprofit agencies, including the YWCA of the City of New York, the Tampa Metropolitan Area Y, the Ophelia Project and Boys Initiative of Tampa Bay, and One Circle Foundation. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Noreen Russell. Hey, Noreen, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Good morning. Good morning, and thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. And, you know, I usually just start out and have people share a little bit about their journey into their professional path. So why don't you tell listeners a little bit about how you got into this field? Sure,
1: I'm happy to. Yeah, it's sort of an unusual place to have ended up. So when I finished graduate school, I did kind of the typical normal thing. I got an academic job and... Um, taught at University of Minnesota for several years, and then really figured out that what I loved was applied work. And so um, I had been doing applied research and kind of field research and ended up moving into nonprofit work full-time for the next 10 years or so, working in youth development at the YWCA of the city of New York and running a a nonprofit here in Tampa and absolutely loved applying my knowledge of developmental psychology to helping kids, um, you know, really grow up to be resilient, strong, empathic. So then I had my son. And as all of us know, as parents, that can be a real shift in your lifestyle. And he is a... Complicated kid. He was a complicated baby. So I retired from nonprofit work, not sure what I was going to do next except be a mom. And I had something really interesting happen to me. All of the licensed psychologists and therapists I'd been working with for the past several years in the community wanted to refer kids to me. And I said, you know, I'm not a therapist. And they're like, well, this kid doesn't need therapy. That's why I'm sending them to you. They just need some mentoring, some coaching. Well, you know, at the time, coaching was not a very well-developed field. I'm not sure that it still is, although I think our practice has done a great job of figuring out what works and what doesn't. And I was a little hesitant to go start doing something called coaching. but. You know, all of these psychologists were asking me to work with kids who, you know, they were a little out of sync with their peers, a little quirky, maybe a little awkward, lacking some self-esteem. And so that's how I started was really just at the request of our local mental health community. And then a few years later, my own son was diagnosed with ADHD and I started the Tampa Bay ADHD Parent Support Group. And got really interested in what works for ADHD and learning about, you know, what is evidence-based treatment for ADHD and got really interested in coaching kids with ADHD on the skills that sometimes they can be delayed on. So for the last 14 years or so, that's what I've been doing is coaching kids um, on Social and emotional skills, on executive functioning skills, and on academic and study skills. And it's been incredibly rewarding. And I think now Russell Coaching is the largest student coaching practice in the country.
0: Wow. Isn't that something? Good for you. congratulations. Well, tell me a little bit about because you said you're not a therapist, yet I would bet you a lot of parents kind of see you as. Somebody who offers therapeutic support, right? But can you talk a little bit more about what coaching is and what it isn't?
1: Sure, absolutely. And yes, I think parents do feel that it is therapeutic in the sense of it's healing, it helps them to move on, it helps their child to, you know, be more confident. Um, So there's definitely a healing component of coaching the way we do it at my practice. So Coaching, you know, sort of technically is pursuing goals in a supportive relationship. You know, that's kind of the way we define it. And that's probably pretty adult language, but honestly, it's not that much different with kids. Students come to us. We work with middle school through college students, and we do some assessments with them. And then we do some discovery to see what are the goals. And, you know, this is the funny part I think with students is sometimes the goal is I want my mom out of my school business or <laughs> I want to earn an iPhone, you know, or I want to be able to go to, you know, my friend's beach house on the weekend. Now, we also have some students who are like, I want to earn all A's. I want to get into an Ivy League college. So how they define that goal you know, it's just as varied as every individual student, but sometimes they do, they make you laugh with where they're starting. And honestly, it's just like the rest of us, you know, Um, sometimes we just want things that are fun or feel good. And um, so we define those goals. And then what the coaches do is begin to work on what are the skills you need to be able to achieve those goals. And so it's, our process, I think, is fairly nurturing. It's fairly supportive. It's motivational, encouraging. Where it's not therapy is we're not addressing mental health problems, anxiety, depression. We're not diagnosing mental health problems. Now, what I will say is if your student has been experiencing you know, anxiety or depression because they really don't feel capable at school or they're not doing well at school or they're getting a lot of negative feedback. I think, you know, things like depression, anxiety can be secondary really to ADHD and to some of the the learning differences. And so, you know, once you can get a student to the point where they do have the skills to do well and they have the right team around them, I think sometimes You know, it does have a positive impact on mental health.
0: Yeah, I would certainly concur with that, having seen so many kids with ADHD and just academic struggles, you know, that feeling that you're a failure or not meeting the expectations. You know, you have a kid who's really bright and, you know, they're getting C's and you're trying to figure out, you know, the kid that never can turn in their homework. And where that homework goes, I I think there's a giant black hole in the universe and it's full of homework um, that Mm -hmm. belongs to some kids (laughs) and it's just out there. So, and I've talked with some other folks um, in a previous podcast just about coaching physicians. And so I I think I'm getting the hang of that. This coaching is really about strategies, skills building, kind of functional improvement but not about diagnosis and treatment, and that if there was significant concerns about mood, that that might be something to refer to a therapist. So there might also might even be a partnership or a tag team with a therapist. It, would you say that happens sometimes? Absolutely.
1: and And because our practice really focuses on complex kids, because you have to, right? Only one third of kids who are diagnosed with ADHD only have ADHD. And so because it tends to come along with something else, we have to be prepared for that at the practice, whether it's autism, whether it's anxiety, whether it's, you know, dyslexia. And so that's an important thing to understand is that, you know, your student with ADHD more than likely has something else going on. And so our method is really built around the American Academy of Pediatrics. And their recommendation that we need to be providing multimodal treatment, you know? And so at our practice, we're often the lead on the student's team, you know, contacting the therapist, sending weekly notes over to the psychiatrist or the developmental pediatrician. And I think. Parents find that to be unusual. We will track down the therapist and set up a conference call so that we can figure out, for example, okay, in therapy, what coping mechanisms are you working on building up? Now the coach can prompt the student to use those when the student is getting stressed out about you know, midterms or exams or a large paper that's due. And so that team approach is central to our practice, as well as providing feedback on, you know, what we're seeing in terms of the level of symptoms during coaching and the psychiatrists that we partner with And work with have been super appreciative of having someone who can be attentive to that. Who, again, our role is not to diagnose or treat, but to provide feedback on how that student is doing, you know, and what the level of symptoms are can be so helpful for whoever is prescribing medication and treating. And so it's like getting that inner glimpse into, you know, how is the students functioning more so than the every three months? Well, how are you doing? How is school going? You know, they're hungry for that information so that they can titrate properly and and treat effectively. And so that's a really fundamental part of our practice is working with therapists as well as medical providers.
0: Yeah, boy, and listening. I mean, I think As a provider, I often was doing what you're talking about in terms of contacting schools and coordinating, and later we were able to get a social worker in the practice, and so she was able to do a lot of that coordinated care, but this idea of a coach Boy, that sounds really amazing. Um, I'm just wondering, and of course, it's going to vary. For example, your access to psychiatry and developmental pe- pediatricians. I mean, a lot of listeners out there, you know, they may be in rural areas or um, even communities like mine where we just don't have that plethora of specialists. So, how accessible is coaching? I mean, is it something available to all students? I mean, I'm thinking about. Also, students who may have Medicaid insurance or other, um, you know, difficulties accessing services. How do you see that fitting in for all kids? Right. right. It's an important question, the question of
1: access. Um, There's no doubt about it. And we work with students across the United States. So we too see the problem of access. I have students right now, several students in Boston who are having a terrible time finding a psychiatrist. And you would think in a major metropolitan area that's a medical hub like that, that it wouldn't be problematic. And so all of us are familiar with the problem of small towns, rural America, access to quality psychiatric care and therapy. For us, um, we made the decision to go virtual a, a few years ago, right, thankfully, right before the pandemic. And so we do all of our coaching on Zoom or other similar platforms. And so for us, you know, where the student is at is not a problem. We see students across the United States, small towns, big cities. We have a couple of students in Canada for a while. We had a couple of students in the UK. So the access part, as long as there is a computer, which these days, you know, is, is really usually not a stumbling block. Um, and we have found that that has been a great transition. Coaching works really well on the virtual platform. Because in essence, it's like a meeting, you know, you've got to check in about goals, you have skill building to do, you have information to process. I I think that it is really very well suited to the virtual platform. Now, where we have some work to do, I think, is that coaching is not covered at all by anyone's insurance. So coaching is a fee-for-service program at this point, I would love to see insurance begin to take a look at how they could cover coaching. But I think that is going to be a long time coming because coaching doesn't diagnose or treat. And so it's not going to fit in with the current insurance model, possibly as prescribed by someone, you know. Um, I think about that a little bit. Like if a psychiatrist or a pediatrician prescribed coaching, you know, could it get covered? But it is not, coaching is not covered by insurance at this point. So that's a stumbling block for families.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would think that, you know, of course it's going to depend on if you can pay fee for service out of pocket. And that's true for a lot of psychiatry services too. And you know, in talking about partnering, I, I would certainly say most kids with ADHD are probably treated by pediatrician or family practice as opposed to psychiatry because there, there just aren't enough of them to go around. So, you know, it would be partnering up with with pediatricians, but it's such a intriguing concept, I think, this team approach. And, you know, I'm wondering if this isn't an advocacy point for pediatricians. And mental health professionals to say, especially in this time of, you know, mental health crises being on the forefront is, okay, where do we put our money? You know, if it's in coaching and supporting, that keeps kids from failure and all the things that can result is that. So, yeah, we can put that on the list for something that um, we can all advocate for. Well, tell me a little bit about your coaches. Um, What kind of training does a coach have in your practice?
1: So we are very particular about the people that we hire. Everyone who comes to Russell Coaching is mid-career or highly experienced. Everyone has had eight to 10 years minimal of working directly with students. Sometimes that's in the classroom as a teacher. Sometimes that's as a guidance counselor, as a school psychologist, possibly in mental health or nonprofit. But everyone that we've hired has had 8 to 10 years of experience working directly with students and, you know, in that middle school through college range. And so after that, then they come, um, if they're hired to work with us, um, and we currently have 20 coaches at the practice, then they go through intensive training with me to learn our coaching model and also get in-depth knowledge about ADHD, autism, and anxiety, because those are the top three diagnoses of the students in our practice. And so that training really focuses on how do you help students with ADHD, autism, or anxiety build these social, emotional, executive functioning, and, and study skills? How do you Form a rapport? How do you teach in a way that's effective during your coaching sessions? And so they go through intensive training with me. And then as a team, we're constantly doing, you know, continuing education, which isn't, again, the downside of coaching is, you know, it's not licensed or regulated at all. And so I think this is where my background, even though I'm not a clinician, you know, seeing clinical training programs, I think this is what has helped us to grow as a practice is having a very serious commitment to, you know, continuing education, even though we're not required to. But of course, we are required to ethically, morally, you know, you know, you simply must. Um, And, And then, as you said a few moments ago, given what's happened in the last couple of years with mental health in this country, I feel like it's just vital for our coaches to be able to recognize when do you need to be referring? When are we seeing such signs of anxiety or depression that we need to check in with a therapist? And so, once again, our role is not to diagnose or to treat, but to be informed and to be partnering and collaborating. And I think That is maybe what distinguishes our practice, you know, because we have no problem. You know, we get that release of information right up front from parents, which again is going above and beyond what we're required to do from a coaching point of view. So we've got those contacts and we can give the therapist a call and say, Hey, I had a really rough session this week with, you know, Donovan and I just wanted to check in with you and let you know that, or, you know, passing on notes and things like
0: that. So, it sounds like a really rigorous program, and that, to me, is very encouraging, you know, that it's not just somebody who kind of cooked up an idea about how, I mean, you you have really planned this. These are well-trained um, folks. And then you have this continuing support. And you know, we I mentioned a minute ago that you know, pediatricians are often the first to hear about potential concerns. You know, oftentimes it's the teacher telling the parent, hey, they can't pay attention. And of course, the first thing pops into parents' head is, is this ADHD and what do we do about it? Or if they're disorganized, that kind of thing. And the younger they are, the more difficult this is. And I know you said you work primarily with middle school and older kids. And I see our job is to take a really good history. And I have another podcast um, with a clinician who talks a lot about history taking And honestly, that's the basis of a lot of medical diagnosis is, you know, I always learned that the diagnosis is in the history and you have to get, you know, the collateral. You know, what about the parents that those different eyes on, which in talking with you, you know, you've got eyes on the therapist has eyes on the teacher. But if we don't get all that information as a prescriber you know, I'm kind of going by the seat of my pants from what the parent's telling me or what the kid's telling me. So that information to me is just vital. And again, that you've kind of explained some about that coaching. Have you, Can you talk a little bit about what that relationship has been like with pediatricians specifically when you've worked with them? Sure. Absolutely.
1: And one of the things I'll say as we talk about that is one of the things that we do at my practice is we distribute a published symptom tracker to parents and we really say to them, you know, we're still having a hard time making headway in coaching. I think it would be valuable for you to use this symptom tracker. And I can't remember... Who publishes it, but it's, it's chatter attitude, I believe. Um, but it's a two week symptom tracker that parents and older students can use. And we say, you know, track these symptoms, make notes, take data to the doctor. I'll tell you a story about a student that we're still kind of working on bringing all the pieces together. The parents will say to us things like, well, you know, he just has a terrible time sleeping. And I'll say, tell me exactly what that means. Like he has a terrible time sleeping. Where does he sleep? How much does he sleep? When does he sleep? Well, come to find out this is a kiddo, much like my own son, who had never slept through the night in his own bed. And I said, does the doctor know that's what you mean when you say he doesn't sleep well? And they were like, I don't know. And I was like, okay, so let's really drill down into this. This is your parent coaching time. Let's really drill down into what is the information that the doctor would find helpful. And so, you know, we are kind of going through the process of discovery with what does sleep look like? You know, what does mood look like? Um, and again, all I'm doing is facilitating the parents taking notes on this to take to the doctor because as you Recognize the doctors need that information. But I think pediatricians in particular are in a tough position, right? Because it's very hard to have the length of time to discover all of that information, and especially on an ongoing basis with a complex kid. So for us, I think we tend to see kids who have been referred from their pediatrician to. Psychiatry or developmental pediatrician because the case is complex. You know, we do get referrals from some pediatricians, especially locally where, you know, I've lived here for 20 years. So I know a lot of the pediatricians and my own kids are part of a large pediatric practice and things like that. We, around the country, we get more referrals from psychiatrists and developmental pediatricians. And again, and, and you would be better able to speak to this, but because we see those complex kids who have two or more diagnoses, they often have been referred on. But I would love to have a stronger relationship with the pediatricians who are seeing these younger students, you know, and do you know, some parent education, get the 504 or the IEP in place. You know, we do 504s and IEPs for our students. We don't offer advocacy services at large, but I think there is such an important possible place and partnership. I mean, you would, again, speak to this better than I would, but my own kids' pediatricians look exhausted. They just I cannot imagine being a pediatrician these days. And, and the it feels a little bit like being a school, like everything kind of gets piled on the pediatrician to take care of, to talk about, to discuss. And so we haven't put a whole lot of effort toward reaching the masses of pediatricians, even though they are the ones that are most used to providing. But I think our kids come to us because their complex and their treatment plan isn't always working so great. But if you have ideas or pediatricians out there have ideas about how we could better partner with pediatricians, especially to get kids coaching earlier so that we can avoid some of the high school level problems of lack of motivation, maybe starting to use substances, maybe starting to feel like, oh, school isn't the place for me. You know,
0: I'm I'm all ears. Well, Yes, <laughs> yes, and <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking I'm listening to you and thinking about, you know, kids that I've treated kids with lots of complex. and, and again, because, uh, first of all, because I have an interest in it, but secondly, we just don't have those specialists to refer to. So certainly in in our community and, you know, in many of the communities where I talk to pediatricians, we're it. And I would imagine, I just didn't know that this existed other than in the back of the Attitude magazine where there's advertisements for coaches. And I think that's the only time I've seen that. Um, so I think you're right. This idea of virtual has opened the world because now I'm in Michigan, you know, you're in Florida. Well, I could use you. And because it's not a licensing, we don't have to worry about cross-state licensing. So to me, there's some really tremendous opportunity. And I would plant a bug with you, like, yes, reach out to pediatricians. We would love this kind of thing. And I think with so many conditions where I think pediatricians shine is we, you know, development is our backbone. That's what we see and what we do from the get-go. We see a newborn and we're looking at all the developmental milestones we often are the ones that are going to see those lags. We're going to see early signs of autism. And I think a lot of the focus of pediatric education has been early identification and just that that is, is becoming more and more, you know, especially I just reviewed a a document about following kids that are preterm because we know that they're at risk of lots of, developmental difficulties and if we're paying attention to that early and we can get that early intervention like you said it's that downstream now I'm not treating a substance use problem I'm I'm treating an educational how do we support so I think that there's a brilliant intersect here and I would totally put you know a bug in your ear yes please reach out to pediatricians and I'm hoping that those who are listening whether it's a parent out there, or a mental health professional, or my pediatric colleagues, is that we think about reaching out to coaches because that's not something that I would have done routinely. You know, I didn't know that you were there for this, you know. So, you know, a lot of this is just knowing what the resources are. I often refer to a line I came up to as I was working in my own community, and that's resource-rich, linkage-poor. There's lots of things out there but we often don't know about what the other does or could do to support a kid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's tough. It's tough. And, you know, when when we think about what does the American Academy of Pediatrics say? Medications, first-line treatment, parent education, a school plan, and skill building. Well, you know, I think what happens with most parents is, you know, they head off to the therapist, because that's sort of the, you know, knee jerk reaction. And actually what we need to be helping parents understand is we need to start with you. We need to get you educated about ADHD and what works, especially at those younger ages, like you said. Um, Although currently with a 12 year old and a 14 year old in the house, I will say like, I think the teenage years are close behind those early elementary years in terms of difficulties with ADHD, but we need to be providing support for parents. And, you know, another thing that would be so easy to do in collaboration with pediatricians is to offer virtual support groups and virtual education for parents around ADHD. And that's something you know, that would be so easy to partner on and all it would take, you know, would be a doctor who's willing, you know, to host that and to kind of send that out to their patients. And, you know, the same thing could happen easily also with helping parents understand 504s and IEPs. And so I think there's a lot of possibility for creating stronger linkages with the resources that are out there. But again, coaches also tend to work individually, like my practice is an anomaly, you know, that we have grown, that we're national, you know, and so it might be a little bit of work for pediatricians to find someone local to them. Now, we, of course, can link up with anyone across the U.S., and so we're always an option. You know, finding someone local might be a possibility, although again, we come back to Resource poor, you know. Is there someone in your community?
0: So my wheels are turning now because I I'm thinking, okay, especially for those of us who might have integrated behavioral health. Wouldn't it be cool if a coaching organization like yours could coach a social work team on how they could do some of the initial psychoeducation? You know, be a partner in these support groups. Um, one of the podcasts I did on um, the financing of mental health in primary care talked about having social workers in the practice that actually did group coaching because they could reach six kids in an hour as opposed to one an hour. And so from a financial standpoint, that also made sense to the practice to support having behavioral health there. And, you know, for me, I would love a course on coaching. What is it? How would I use it? So I'm thinking you should come to the AAP National Conference next year and do a segment on coaching. So I'm going to make note of that. I would love because I I don't think we've ever had a session like that on, you know, again, it's just building out this team because, as you said, so much is coming to the pediatrician and on our laps and with the mental health needs of our patients. They can't get them into therapists now. So we're doing kind of stop gap bridging. We're having to do suicide risk assessments and maybe some initial safety planning because there's no place else that they're going to get that. They might go to the emergency room, but they're not getting admitted because there's no beds and may not meet criteria for admission. So our plate is very very full and I think you're right. It is very hard and overwhelming. On the other hand, it's where the needs are. And and I think we have to do that sort of mind shift pivot. None of us were prepared for COVID. We didn't know. We didn't know what we needed. You know, we didn't know we needed PPE. We we didn't know how to do parent education because we didn't know. But we learned it as we went. And I think that's true for mental health is that we need to have the tools and resources, which is education, support. And, you know, I think we have to look at providing mental health care and support to our patients in a different way. Because, I, you know, I can't be a therapist. I did a lot of therapeutic support for patients and would see them regularly because there was no one else to do that. So, but not every pediatrician, one has the interest or two, the time or training. So, you know, this idea of a better partnership way upstream before it gets so difficult might be really helpful. So we should think about that. I think we've touched on a lot of the topics that I wanted to get to. What else, what are other takeaways that you want people out there to hear about what you're doing?
1: Well, I think one of the things, you know, as we talk about this integration, it's so important to talk about what parents are experiencing at school when it comes to 504s and IEPs and services, right? Because just as what we've seen in medicine, same thing is happening in education. People are burnt out, you know, the the resources aren't there. Yes, there was a lot of federal funding for certain aspects of COVID in the education systems um, and public schools, but the impact of COVID far outstripped what those resources were. And so think about, I think about the typical parent in my practice, you know, who is searching for not only the mental health resources, but the education resources. And there's only so much schools can do. I've been fortunate to have my kids at schools that have done a great job with providing the services that were required in their IEPs but there's only so many minutes in the day and there's only so many speech therapists and there's only so many hours in the day for the school counselor and so what i see so often now when i do intakes and get you know the history of a student is that the students needs just are not being met anywhere you know they can't find a therapist the school the services are spotty through no fault Of the schools, you know, there simply are not enough personnel and the needs for services outweigh the minutes in the day. And so I think figuring out a partnership that brings another level of resources, and again, the downside being that it's private pay right now, but for families who can squeeze that into their budget, you know, I think it can be so valuable to work both within the mental health and the education and sort of, you know, a little bit fill the gaps that maybe wouldn't have existed so dramatically before COVID. But, you know, everyone across the country is seeing kids who are just lost in every system and then parents who are beginning to feel some of the economic hardships. And so it's tough. I'm always happy when parents find me and they're like, I wish we had known about you, but I'm glad we're here now. And I feel hopeful. You know, that's the word people use a lot after they have their intake with me is I feel hopeful. You know, you all know how to help my student with ADHD and anxiety, and you have a track record and you can get started the next week, you know? And so I don't know. I think very grateful to be a part of these students' lives at such a critical time and and to really be changing the trajectory of their lives, you know, to be keeping them engaged in school, to be feeling good about themselves, um, to help. And this is, I think, the most important thing. And you'll, I know you'll agree, to be rebuilding that connection between parent and student at a time that's so critical. Middle schoolers and high schoolers need their parents and they need to be loved by their parents and they don't need their parents to be managing school, but that's often what happens, right? And so I think that's the most rewarding thing is seeing that parent-child, parent-teen relationship ease up a little bit in terms of stress level because now the student has the coach, the coach is teaching them,
0: you know, the skills that they need, not just putting out fires every week. My wheels are turning some more. I'm just so excited about what you're saying because it is hopeful. And I, I think we can kind of get up, caught up in the the onslaught, the, the demand, the crisis. And yet in that, there are ways to do this differently. I think we just have to get creative. One of the things I did in Was to reach out to psychiatrists that were available, the school, the community mental health, and private counselors and therapists. And we just met once a month. We call it the Mental Health Coalition, Southwest Michigan Mental Health, Children's Mental Health Coalition. And that's where I learned about 504s and IEPs and how we can better partner because when the special education teacher said to me, please don't write a prescription for an IEP. That is not how this works. And that just makes it more complicated. Well, I wouldn't have known that had I had no relationship. And for me, it's way more fun to do this when we have all the pieces because otherwise parts are missing. So I I love this idea of teamwork and to me, coaching is something I really hadn't thought about as being another part of that. You know, the school, we have maybe psychiatrists, probably not for most people, but you may have mental health and the pediatrician. Uh, and again, coming from that primary care, that's where I'm thinking is the heart of a lot of this is with peds. And um, even the complex ones. And and those are hard. And And the parent, having the parent, because if they feel supported, and I love what you said about getting them out of the way <laughs> so that they're not the ones responsible for making sure the homework gets done and that the kid somehow takes that on. I would refer listeners to the episode I did, and I'll put the link in the show notes with Dr. Ken Ginsburg about the joys of adolescence, because I think a lot of times we think, you know, oh my God, this is going to be so awful. And because everybody says it is. But um, he just wrote a book, Congratulations, You're Having a Teen, about how they're these incredible explorers and, you know, all the kind of potential to go out and change the world, because that's what our, our adolescents are geared up to do. They, they're hungry for that. So let me just touch on for just a second about what you do for the college-age kid, because I've seen so many kids that go to college their first year, and some of these kids are really good students and have figured it out, and then they get to college and they just tank because they don't have the, you know, 8 to 3.30 schedule. Now they've got sometimes morning classes, sometimes afternoon, and they just can't figure it out. How do you support those kids?
1: Yeah, it's the whole different, our grandmothers would have said, whole different kettle of fish, right? Um, So I think first and foremost, we're going to go back to our point as pediatricians, right, and as people who work in this field, it's all about early intervention. So ultimately, how do we go upstream with these college students who have a 50-50 chance of being successful if they have ADHD, you know, is we go upstream and we catch them in elementary school and middle school and high school and we get them the skills they need and we prepare them as students with ADHD to go off to college. So our practice is actually tackling this this year so that we can offer an intensive model of college support starting next year, because we offer college coaching right now. But what we have found is there are kind of some systemic issues that we need to be prepared to deal with. And so one of the things that we're going to be addressing in our practice is doing some screening around gaming, computer use, screens. You know, we've had a few students who unfortunately have been really addicted to gaming or have started to use gaming a lot more in college, you know, as a coping mechanism. And so we recognize that that is a risk factor and that anything we develop, we've got to be cognizant of, you know, how much time is being spent on the computer, you know, gaming. And recently we had um, a student join our practice who is finding some ways to
0: gamble online. Well, that's just way too easy now when you can just pick up your phone and I mean, to me, it's just a travesty that we've created for adults is this idea that I can just gamble anytime on my phone. I mean, to me, that just is a setup for pure disaster it's so interesting there was just on the news a story about a student who won and again i'm going to be a complete uh not informed about gaming because i don't i don't do that and i just don't have any basis for it but he was winning all kinds of these competitions for tetris And it was interesting. I mean, obviously, you have to play it a lot in order to get it. And what he was saying that he thought that it was a really good strategy for his brain, you know, that this was a a way to build skills. And I don't know, there was a part of me that's like, "Eh, is it? I mean, maybe for, you know, that three-dimensional, I could see that. But if it sucks up all that time you know, what about opportunity to have relationships with people in real time? So I worry about that too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that piece is something we're, you know, really looking at in depth this year. Another piece that we are looking at is how could we develop a tool to help parents and high school seniors have the conversation with whoever is on their team About preparing for college, right? So, one of the things that we see is that, you know, again, everyone's pressed for time and, you know, appointments, if you're on insurance, you know, can be, you know, as little as 15 minutes. But the high school senior themselves needs to have a conversation with the doctor about how is my use of medication going to change when I go to college? They need to be looking at that, walking through that with the medical prescriber, not just, well, you're going to take your, you know, same old prescription, the same old way you were, because you're not on an eight to three, you know, schedule and you're not, you know, many times living at home with the structure of, you know, everyone's heading to bed somewhere between 10 and midnight. And so finding a way to prompt students and parents to have that conversation with the medical provider about, looking ahead. And it's not so much that the medical provider, the medical provider, of course, knows that college is going to be a game changer. But what we need is to prepare the student to be thinking ahead about, okay, what am I going to need to do? What is this going to look like? What's my schedule of classes like? And so we're looking at what can a tool be to help the student think that through? When are your classes? When do you need the strongest symptom control. What are you going to do if you have kind of that biphasic day of classes and then, you know, goofing around, taking a nap, doing other things, and then heading back to studying late at night? You know, how do you manage that? So the college students are really a completely different challenge in terms of how they're managing time, um, the level of independence they have sometimes the desire they have to kind of do things on their own. And so it is something that is um, one of our priorities this year to roll out next year. Now, a lot of colleges will offer some extra support, but again, our niche is really that student who, you know, three or four extra sessions with their advisor isn't, isn't going to be enough. Or, you know, okay, well, you've got two counseling sessions or, you know, we have a group program, you know, that you can participate in online support groups. You know, our niche as a practice is just kind of the kid who needs a little bit more. And so we want to be prepared to offer that starting fall of
0: 23. Okay. I've got another project for you. Oh, but I sound busy enough. (laughs) No, no. So I'm thinking, are you ready what parents, kids, teachers, and doctors need to do to prepare kids for college or life beyond. Because it's not just the kids with ADHD. I mean, I've, I've had kids that are straight A students that do all the things and they get to college and they do not do well. And then they come back and they're depressed, sometimes suicidal, because they were doing so well and they cannot figure out what's going on. So, you know, maybe maybe that's something, again, a pediatrician can't do it by themselves, but if you partner up, what do we need to do to get kids ready beyond, and, and I've seen it a lot with kids with um, special needs like autism, where they are so dependent on that 8 to 3.30 structure, and they, after that, things just go downhill because they don't know how to function In a different world. And, you know, it may not be college, maybe it's employment where you have the demands uh, that are different or virtual work, you know, where you don't have someone, you know, in your office with eyes on. I I remember a a phrase if you can do it at any time, you'll do it at no time. That this possibility that if you don't have structure, it can kind of go by the wayside, like I'll get to it. So there's a project for you. Okay. We've got all. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. We can team up on that. Well listen, um how can listeners find you and learn more about coaching? And um, you know, now that people are gonna want you to coach all their kids, I don't know, you may get in too much demand. So how do how do we find you?
1: Sure. So our website is Russell Coaching, and that's Russell with two S's and two L's. So RussellCoing.com. You can sure just Google my name, Noreen Russell, and you'll get to the practice webpage. Our Instagram is Russell Coaching LLC. Um, the office number for those of you who still prefer phone, we have a, a real live person who answers the phone. Our phone number is 212 716 61. So that's 212-716-1161 two, two, one, six, one, one, six, one with a live person, our very own darling Carla, who is just an expert and she can answer all kinds of questions and get you set up for an intake and get you in touch with me directly. And my email is Dr. Dr. Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L. So Dr at russellcoaching.com. And your listeners are welcome to reach out to me personally with, with my email and I'd be happy to field questions, answer questions. We are prepared at the practice to do intakes within a week and get your student up and going. But I would also say in the spirit of collaboration, there are lots and lots of educational therapists, Executive functioning coaches out there, you may have someone in your neighborhood who is an independent solo practitioner who might be great. So, we're not the only people out there doing good work. There are lots of people out there who are really working hard at helping to figure out how do we help kids with executive functioning so that they can be successful at school. And it's not generally you know, the therapists. And so look for executive functioning coach, look for educational therapist, look for, you know, academic therapist um, and see who's in your area. Go on Attitude and see, you know, who's listed in the coaches. Go on Chat and do the same thing. Those are sort of the big resources, um, Chat and Attitude. And they both have Listings of professionals. Um,
0: So we're not the only game in town doing good work with students. Sounds like one of the best, though. So I'm going to put links to all those things and the phone number and all those sites will be in the show notes. What about a book? Oh,
1: we did publish a book this summer and it is available on Amazon in print and in Kindle. And the book is called Asking the Right Questions About ADHD Before, During, and After Your Child's Diagnosis. So it's not a complete treatise on ADHD. What it is, is really a guide to advocacy for parents to get informed about what do you need to
0: know as the parent of a kid with ADHD. So it's um, geared towards parents, but it sounds like it might be helpful for physicians or therapists to know about kind of what are the questions that we should be answering? that's true.
1: That's true. Maybe that's like the companion book. Like, yeah. What I find both personally and as the practice owner is that we expect someone else to have the answers when it comes to ADHD. We primarily in elementary school expect school to have the answers and they don't really have, they're not the whole thing either. Just like the pediatrician's not the whole thing and just like the coach isn't the whole thing, you know? And so- Parents really have to take this on and learn about ADHD in a way that I think is different from some other diagnoses. And so that's really why I wrote the book is this is what you have to be asking. This is what you have to learn in order to effectively advocate for your child with ADHD.
0: And I'm also going to put links into the show notes on the episodes I did with Dr. Colleen Cullinan, who's a child psychologist and works in an integrated setting about the components of ADHD executive function, time management, working memory, all the things that we have internal dialogue. I mean, it's just really helpful. I think not only for clinicians, but also for families, because she's so good at storytelling about that. So lots of information. This has been really exciting. Thank you so much for your time. And I think we have work to do. I think we have a lot more work to do, but
1: it's so rewarding that we will find ourselves just feeling so connected and so joyful when we engage in this work. I'm I'm hopeful for the next decade. I really am. I think there are going to be lots and lots of good things that are going to happen. I appreciate you inviting me on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. You have my wheels spinning as well. Um, And so hopefully the future brings us some opportunity to collaborate. But most of all, hopefully people who are listening to this episode today feel inspired, feel supported, feel understood, and know that coaching can be the missing piece, either for themselves, parent coaching, or for their student in terms of executive
0: functioning coaching. Well, and I want (laughs) to coach. I want a life coach. And I actually did a whole episode with two women who do coaching for women residents and did a whole random controlled trial on that and how successful, you know, this idea about, building our skills and strategies. So I couldn't have ended it better with what you said. And at the heart of it, which I think is true for every malady that we have, it's about the relationships we have with the people around us, whether it's with colleagues, our parents, our patients, it's about that connectedness that really can lift us. And, you know, we each bring different things to the table. But the fact that we all want to be at the table is really, Really crucial. So, thank you for your time and everything that you're doing, and really, really appreciate you. Thank you. I love the idea of taking ADHD treatment and bumping it up to the next level. So, here are my takeaways from our conversation. Number one, thank you, and such an amazing ADHD intervention for success. Number two, ADHD coaching allows patients to pursue goals in a supportive relationship. It is not therapy, diagnosing or treating mental health conditions, which would necessarily involve a therapist as part of the team. Number three, ADHD coaching is a multimodal approach and with releases involves schools, mental health, primary care, and psychiatry if indicated. Number four, two-thirds of kids diagnosed with ADHD have other comorbidities learning differences, autism spectrum disorders, and anxiety are some of the more common co-occurring conditions. Number five, coaching builds skills, social, emotional, organizational, time management, and others. Number six, coaches can assist with parent, family, psychoeducation, school support, for example, 504 and IEPs, and really helps the student with other strategies. Number seven, early intervention is ideal. Number eight, symptom trackers are extraordinarily helpful in the management of ADHD, along with collateral information from schools, parents, and coaches. Number nine, kids often experience difficulty entering college, even those without ADHD. There is a steep learning curve. Coaching can prepare students with time management, self monitoring, for example, of gaming and scrolling as major time sucks. Number 10. Dr. Russell's program is the largest in the country and reaches kids across the United States. Their interventions incorporate many of the AAP recommendations from the ADHD Clinical Practice Guideline and Clinical Reports. Number 11. Coaching is not regulated by licensing. However, Dr. Russell requires that all of her coaches have extensive experience and intensive training. Number 12, a barrier. Unfortunately, insurance does not cover coaching and is a fee-for-service pay-as-you-go system. This leaves many children without access to this intervention. Here's an advocacy opportunity. Number 13. If you're interested to learn more about supporting parents, check out Dr. Russell's book, Asking the Right Questions About ADHD Before, During, and After Diagnosis, and her website with a link in the show notes. Other resources such as Chad and the Attitude magazine are also included. Thank you so much for everything you do. I know that our impact on kids' lives is so broad from, you know, right from the cradle. We're coaching those mamas to and daddies to interact with their babies. We're enjoying and, you know, really cheering on their developmental milestones and picking up on when they're not meeting those milestones, weathering it through tantrums and, again, triumphs. And then as they enter the school realm, trying to support those kids to really thrive and picking them up and supporting them when they're stumbling. Thank you again for everything you do. And as always, take good care of yourselves and make time for those that you love. I hope you'll join me next week and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown, and I hope you found it as interesting as I did. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Let's do better together. Music was composed by Connor McHugh and cover art was designed by Alexia Barrero. If you would like to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook at Dr. Leah Gugino and on Instagram at Pediatric Meltdown. I would love listener ideas and suggestions and hope to hear from you. Thank you so much and I hope you will join me next week.